Welcome to this week's Manor House message. We are grateful you are listening with us today. It is our prayer that you will receive a fresh word from God and find encouragement for every season of your journey. Let's listen to this message from Pastor Mark. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Come on, you could do better than that. It's sunshine, it's daylight savings time. You're gonna get some extra sunshine today. Hey, listen, we're connected with all of our campuses right now with Mill Plain and 217 downtown. We also had the wonderful privilege for the very first time to connect with our Eugene family. Come on, put your hands together for everything that God is doing on all of our campuses. So excited. Also want to just greet everybody that's online right now. People listen from all over the world. And just to be a part of this family, we want to greet you as well. I know I've asked you to clap a lot, but put your hands together for our online community. We love you guys. We're so glad that you're a part of our service this morning. Hey, listen, we are going to uh, continue a a series that we started uh, last weekend called Culture Matters. We're trying to help each other understand how do we thrive in a culture that's so unlike us. When we just stop and we look around, we recognize that things are obviously a lot different and they're moving at a very rapid pace. And we all have this heart to engage with culture, right? We've got friends at work and people at school and people in the neighborhood, and we desire to have relationships and love people and care for them. But have you noticed that the more that you get close to people that maybe aren't a part of your faith persuasion, that you maybe find a little bit of tension when it comes to this idea about Jesus or about church or about God? And it's a tension that's very real right now. I mean, it's not something that's in our heads. There's this, there's this tension that we face that has just permeated every aspect of our society. You just turn on the television just for just a few minutes and you just watch the tension. You look at the moral wars. You look at the fighting, the division, the hatred, the strife that's taking place. You see it in our schools. You see it, again, in the marketplace. You see it in the neighborhoods. You you even see some of the issues that we're struggling with surface in the church in regards to maybe your political persuasion or maybe your perspective around one of these moral wars. And I think at best, the world would look at you as a Jesus follower and think at best that you're irrelevant. I mean, you hear it all the time. It's like, what are you even doing coming to a building to sing songs on Sunday morning, I mean, what's even that about, right? Isn't Sunday morning for like brunch and mimosas? I mean, isn't this where you go on a walk with your dog or you go and you go on a hike in the gorge? I mean, isn't this kind of where you do kind of that Netflix binge, right, for the office? How many office fans out there? Come on. Oh, yeah, Dwight, there's three or four of you. That's good. I mean, I know you guys all watch The Office. You watch the entire season in one time or Maybe it's friends or whatever it might be. Isn't that really what Sundays are about? So society would say maybe you're just a little bit out of touch with what is really happening. Or in a worst case scenario, they would compare you to ISIS. It's actually, and you've heard this beginning to surface a lot. Your religion's actually hurtful to our future. Whatever laws, whatever beliefs, whatever convictions that you have that align with this Judeo-Christian faith persuasion, 
like, let's get it out of society. In fact, you do you, I'll do me, and let's just make sure that we just uh, don't allow each other to kind of collide. In fact, I have the right to tell everybody, it's called new tolerance, right? I can tell everybody about what I think, but you as a believer, keep your mouth shut because it's hurtful. Tolerance says everybody can share anything they want. You do me, believe what you want, do what you want, sleep with whoever you want, kind of have the convictions you ever, but if it aligns with this idea of Christianity, keep your mouth shut. And so we live in this tension. And it's an awkward tension because we don't want to be there. We just want to love people, right? And it reminded me as I was thinking about this particular message and of my life's most embarrassing moment. Anybody have a, an embarrassing moment before? Come on, 217, Mill Plain. Come on, Rocky Butte, put your hand up downtown. How many could actually identify your life's most embarrassing moment? Come on, you just, okay, I'm gonna line you up here. You can share with everyone. No. I, I finally felt like I had enough history and healing that I could actually confess my life's most embarrassing moment. I had gone out to lunch with a couple in the church, wonderful couple, marketplace couple, very respected, and we decided to go to a place called BJ's Grill for lunch, eat some pizza, salad, and as we're sitting there, I, I I've all of a sudden recognized that I had to go to the bathroom. I'm just going to be not too graphic, but I just, it was time to go to the bathroom, and so I just excuse me, hey, if you don't mind, just give me a second here. I want to go to the restroom. And so I pulled out my phone, and I get my phone out, and I'm looking at different texts and emails on the way to the bathroom, open up the bathroom, and go sit down in a stall, and I'm looking at different texts. And um, I hear someone else come into the bathroom, and they come in and sit down in the stall next to me, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at my phone, and I look over, and I see a pair of pumps, now, I'm just thinking, first of all, it didn't even, like, dawn on me. Like, I'm just thinking, well, this is Portland, you know, just we keep things weird, and whatever's good for you is good for you. I'm not going to put my feet in those, but those are awesome. Maybe I should shave my legs. I don't know. And so, and so all of a sudden, I'm not even thinking about it. I mean, just, I, I, another person walks in and sits next to me, and they're wearing sandals, and their toenails are painted. And all of a sudden, I remember. I it just, it's just like... Oh my gosh, I'm in the women's bathroom. You talk about awkward. And so I'm sitting at the stall, and here are these two ladies, and I'm just going, oh, what am I going to do? I mean, I've got some options. I can hide. I can try to blend in. I mean, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. And so I'm thinking, okay, as soon as they leave, I'm going to jet out behind them. And so they, they both get up. They're leaving. As soon as they leave, two other ladies walk in. And they're sitting there, and they're talking. I finally understand what, why ladies go together in groups to the bathroom. I mean, they're just, they're just talking, and they're telling stories about their boyfriend, and they're putting on makeup and spraying on perfume. And it's just like, they're taking forever. It's like, I got some people back at the table, and I'm just, just like, I got to get out of here. And so finally, they slip out, and I just go, okay, this is my chance. And so I open up the stall. I run out. I get out in the hallway, and I look over to the table, and the couple's looking right at me as I come out of the girl's bathroom. I'm just going, this just went, like, really bad. So I sat down at the table, and the whole way there, I'm going, well, what am I going to even say? I mean, how, how do I even, like, 
talk about me being in a place that was so unlike me. And the lady looks at me, she goes, did, did, did you just come out of the girl's bathroom? And so all of a sudden it goes from trying to hide it to conform me. I said, yeah, of course. I mean, Portland, you know, an extra stall's open. I mean, you do it too. Hey, let's keep talking, right? I tried to avoid the situation. And I think about that story. I think it's a lot like the way we do life as Christians. Kind of think about how do I hide? How do I fit in? How do I deny or ignore Or how do I find a way to just blend in? Because at the end of the day, I don't want conflict. I don't want to be hated. I don't want people to be mad at me. I don't want to fear for my life. And that's kind of what we do when it comes to our faith and our culture today. We really kind of lean into one of two extremes. We talked about this last week. The first idea is this idea of separatism, where we want to just kind of not mingle with the icky, bad world. We just want to escape. We want to remove ourselves out of fear or intimidation. We don't want to have anything to do with it. Just escape. Let the world do the world, I'll do my thing. Or on the other side, again, where a majority of Christians go is they come to this idea of syncretism, and that is that we get to this place where I just want to blend in. I want to kind of vanish into the current culture even at the expense of my own convictions. I'm just going to tell the jokes with them. I'm going to go hang out. I want to do what they do. I want to go watch what they watch. I just kind of want to blend in because I want relationships so bad or I'm looking so forward to just having this meaningful union with people. It's just kind of like, I need to do that. And we end up picking one of the two. We get kind of stuck in the stall at BJ's. But when we look at Scripture, we find that God has actually a third option. I'm going to call it the God option. And when we look at Scripture, we find that God actually placed you here, allowed you to have a personal relationship with Him, that you might be His mouth and His his arms and His feet and His heart and His ears to a world that is looking for answers. How many know our world's looking for answers today? And so we've got to become what's known as the creative minority. We're not to escape. We're not to blend in. We're actually to put ourselves into a position where we engage in meaningful ways where we're able to deliver this idea of um, unfailing love, unwavering love, unconditional love, as well as uncompromising truth. And so when I think about becoming a creative minority, it just simply means this. It's a community of believers talking about manna house here, who live out God's story the way that Jesus showed them for God's glory and the good of the culture they participate in. God's given you and I the wonderful privilege to remain here. We didn't go to heaven. We got to stay. And he wants us to live out his story around people that desperately need him. And so I want to go back to our story. We've been looking at the uh, story of Daniel. And if you have your Bibles, if you could open up to Daniel chapter 1. And I want you to get this big idea. Because if you get one thing out of this morning, I want you to get this thought. How do we live? In fact, I have in parentheses here. How do we even thrive in this cultural tension? 
God's not bothered by the tension. He's not up there biting his fingernails. He has everything under complete control. And when you look at his word and you slow down long enough to look at exactly what he says, he has the answers that will allow you to thrive and to become all that you were created to be. But we've got to go to his word to find it. And so we see the story of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I want to read the story. It says this. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it into the treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. You kind of... Looks like they're talking about me and Walter here. Um, And qualified to serve in the king's palace. I want you to catch this, lean into this, this thought right here. He was to teach them the language and the literature of Babylon. The very first thing that we begin to see as they're immersed into this secular culture is they wanted to reshape their convictions. Put a little little mental note right there. The king then assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among them were some men from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief officials, it says, here's another phrase, gave them new names. The second thing that we see that culture, what's beginning to happen here, is they not only want to reshape their convictions, but they want to redefine their identity. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And what you begin to see here is these young men submerged into a culture that is unlike them. And what the spirit of the age behind the culture immediately begins to do, it begins to work on convictions. It begins to work on identity. It's trying to change the way that you are and the way that you think and who you are, ultimately to rob you of your destiny. And when we look at this story, we begin to see this taking place. You take a look at what took place just prior to this, and there was a big split between Israel, and there were two kingdoms, a northern and southern kingdom, and the ten northern tribes. They, they begin to immerse themselves into a culture. They begin to worship their idols and to uh, just do ungodly things. And God would ultimately take away his blessing and allow the Assyrians in to besiege the northern kingdom. And it happened in the southern kingdom. There were prophets, there were guys that were trying to speak into these southern, these southern tribes and just saying, it was Zephaniah and it was Habakkuk and it was Jeremiah. They're screaming, God's speaking to them, stop what you're doing. Can you not see what's happening? Can you not see your nation falling apart? 
Can you not look at the morality? Can you not look at the idols and the gods and see what's going on? They're just screaming. And even Judah themselves, they even ignored that message. And ultimately, that's where God would send King Nebuchadnezzar to go in and decimate the entire city of Jerusalem and take all of the Jews into captivity. And their journey would begin where they would now be put into a culture that's much unlike them. And as I think about this, I think it's important for us because hindsight's 2020 vision, isn't it? I think that if they had the opportunity, they would go back and ask themselves this question. What's really happening in our culture? Fortunately, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. The rest didn't. But what you see here is that they begin to recognize that the culture was already working on them. And we've got to start in that place. Anybody remember the movie 1939 classic, The Wizard of Oz? Come on, wave at me. Anybody see it? It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Probably the best clip, the best uh, quote of the movie is where Dorothy is saying to her little dog Toto, she says this, she says, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I mean, all of a sudden, she's in the land of Oz. I mean, people look different. They talk different. There's flying monkeys. There's wicked witches. I mean, there's munchkins. There's people without brains. There's people without heart, people without courage. All of a sudden, she's realizing, this is a lot different than I remember. Could it not be, guys, listen to me. Could it not be that we should actually stop the noise and the busyness and come back to this place and say, okay, what really is happening in our culture? Maybe this is our opportunity to stop. Just stop. Stop the Groundhog Day. Say, what's really happening? What's happening with our government? Why is it falling apart at the seams? What's happening with morality? What's happening in our schools? When you look at all of these things, maybe we should just stop and take a look at really what we're immersed in and then recognize it's our job to transform it. It's not their job to transform us. That's our, thank you for the golf clap. I mean, come on, that's our job. That's why we're here. Here are the four predominant cultural mindsets that we're immersed in today. These cultural mindsets are working 24 hours a day, seven days a week to change you. The first is this, the culture's pluralistic. They believe that there are more than one or more kinds of ultimate reality. All beliefs and behaviors are equal and end up to the, excuse me, and I'm sorry, are equal and up to the individual person to decide. No absolute truths exist. You get to decide your beliefs. You're the center of your world, not God. There's actually 6,000 different religious options in America today you get to choose from. And when you look at this, I, I, I saw this quote by Jim Carrey. How many know who Jim Carrey is? He's a, a, an actor of our day. He says this. He says, I'm a Buddha. I'm a Muslim. I'm a Christian. He says, it all comes down to the same thing. <laughs> Everybody go, wow, that just sounds so intelligent. I mean, it makes 100% sense if you don't think about it. <laughs> How about Ariana Grande's recent blockbuster music video? Come on, God is a woman? 
I mean, it's, it's, we're immersed in this culture that says, you pick your God. It's not like God picking you. You pick your God. God can be a man. She can be a woman. She can be a tree, a flea, a bee, or me. It's so easy for you to see. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> you pick. My Lord. I, I'm sharing with this one guy at the gym, and he's, he's just going, well, I'm still trying to figure out my own religion. I'm working on writing it out now. I'm just going like, let me know how that works for you. Welcome to Portland, right? Pluralistic. By the way, pluralism is the, is the pulse of America today, no longer Christianity. Here, here's another one. Culture's postmodern. They deny the existence of any ultimate principles and lack the optimism that there is a scientific, philosophical, or real religious truth that explains Everything for everybody. There's just no such thing as absolute truth. Reason is replaced with emotion. You look at rationalisms replaced with subjectivism. Moralities replaced with relativism. And you see the relentless commentary that takes place as you watch the news today. People spend hours talking about nothing. I remember just Dorothy saying to the Tin Men, going back to Wizard of Oz, she says, doesn't it just seem like all the people without the brains do the most talking? I wonder if that was a prophetic word for our day and age. How about this one? Our culture's pessimistic. They've lost, listen to this, because this is, this is me, this is you. If you're a Jesus follower, you, you call yourself a Christian. They've lost respect for the church as a whole and have little or no hope that it can offer anything of value or worth to their lives or to the future of our nation. Here, here's, here's what a recent survey says about what people think about us. And again, we're, we're talking about being stuck in the stall at BJ's, right? How do, how do we fit in? 87% of secular society today says that you're judgmental. 85% says you're hypocritical. 75% too political. 78% old-fashioned. 72% out of touch with reality. 70% say that you're insensitive to others. 68% say you're boring. And 61% say you're really confusing. How many are confused by all the confusion, right? And when I look at this, this is important to understand because the first thing that we, that we want to do is we just want to escape. Well, just forget them. But could it possibly be that you and I have to own a little bit of this because we have separated ourselves? Or because, especially as I speak to Generation Z and Millennials, we found ourselves blending in so much to culture, they'll call us hypocritical. They say, I can be like you any day I want and not have to be convicted about it. And so we find ourselves going to one of the two extremes, and then they say something about us. Listen, we have to own that. That maybe part of the challenge that we're facing today is we look at our nation and we look at the moral degeneration that's taking place. Maybe it's because we weren't the creative minority. Maybe it's because we didn't stand with uncompromising, unfailing, unconditional love, yet uncompromising truth. And we have this emergence today where we just want grace and we just want to love people. Listen, I want to love people too, but it's not just love that's going to save them. Truth is what sets them free. 
So I want to love them, but I got to bring truth too. But I need to do truth in love. So we have this whole emergence where we buy into this idea. Hey, listen, I want to love them. Don't talk about truth. That's unfair. And what happens is we find ourselves over here. It's compromising. Yes, we're called to love. Yes, we're called to bring grace. John 1.14, it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so maybe there's something that we need to own in this too. And maybe if we move ourselves to a creative minority, people, as they are searching for answers, we can say, we've got the answers. And then here's the last one, which is very troubling, is that culture is post-Christian. Christian excuse me, Christianity is no longer the predominant belief system that shapes the morals and values of this nation. As Dorothy said, we are no longer in Kansas anymore. We're in Babylon. We're we're in this culture. We have to choose. What do we do with the culture that we're put into? Society continues their quest for spirituality. People are more spiritual than ever. They're just choosing everything but Christianity. And it's at a startling rate. And so we've got to come to this place. Okay, we're talking about Daniel. Daniel came in and we saw they begin to try to reshape his convictions and redefine his identity. How did Daniel live his life through this stuff? And I want you to see this statement. I think this is real important. Is that a secular culture will always attempt. If you go back one slide, that'd be awesome. Will always attempt to reshape your convictions and redefine your identity. Listen, if culture can shape what you believe and who you think you are, this is the most troubling part for you as you hear this. They can change who you were created to be. I don't know what that does to you when you read that. When I read that, I just go, oh my goodness. And so what we see as we look at this particular story, these two things happening, I want to go back to our scripture. The first thing that happens is culture attempts to reshape our convictions. And you watch King Nebuchadnezzar, his strategy is to brainwash them and seduce them. It says he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. It's the brainwashing part, trying to get these different convictions into them. And the king assigned them daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, the seduction part. We live in a world that just wants to give you. Secular society wants to feed your flesh. We love our world. We love all of our fleshly enticements. This is what's happening. It's just kind of secular culture is just saying, eat, 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 enjoy. We're going, yeah. As we eat it, it begins to change our convictions. We become numb of our conscience. And this is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was with these young men. Thank God they didn't bow in or bow down. And as as you think about this, and I want to be careful, but we can see this happening in real time. As you look in front of you and you look at the moral battle zones right in front of you, I'm going to mention a couple of them, and I know it's going to do something. You're going to go, oh, I don't know what I feel, or I don't know why he's saying that. And I want to be so careful here. 
I want to be as pastoral as I can, but these are what's right in front of us that the enemy of your soul is putting in front of you to change the way that you think so that he can change who you are and ultimately who you are created to be. How about this one? Sex outside of marriage. This is a tough one. The acceptable norm today is this idea of if just sex is okay, it's free, kind of like the 60s. Let's just, everybody's doing it, why not me? You're a virgin when you got married? Are you, ah, ah. like, really? And we find ourselves in this space. We actually want to be stuck at the stall at BJ's. Like, I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to tell people what I really believe. Or we might even be saying, I don't even know what I really believe. How about expanded gender options? The Bible says in Genesis that God created man and women, gave us two options. Facebook gives us 58 options. And again, listen, I'm trying to be so careful here. Because I love every person. I want every person to find truth in life. So I'm trying to be so careful. But again, if we're, not, if, we're, if we're not sensitive to the fact of these issues, we can almost find ourselves over here just even believing it, embracing it, or accepting it for the sake of not being resisted. Same-sex marriage. This idea of traditional marriage today after 6,000 years is now looked at as narrow-minded and even hateful. I mean, I, I think of the abortion issue. And I want to be so careful here because there may be some people listening that have gone through that traumatic experience. I'm so grateful that Paul says that if we're in Christ, there is now no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. I get that. But if that's you, you would understand the trauma that you experienced. But we have a world telling us, listen, to the point of full term, abortions now in New York, that that's what we should be doing. And we grapple with this, this idea of sanctity of human life. It's just like, like, ah, woman's right to choose. What about the baby's right? And we, we get caught, right, in this crossfire. All of a sudden, society just continues to pound and pound and pound and pound. I could go through all the list of biblical morals and values and many ways to God, finances, authority, but what we find is this. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's this bombardment on your life to get you to think anything but biblical. And if we don't find ourselves in the Word, if we don't find ourselves with daily devotions and spending time with Him, being in a group, going through belong, whatever it is, to make sure that we are taking in a good diet of biblical truth, we find ourselves over here just going, yeah, I kind of like my church and my people, but they're, they're, they're pretty old-fashioned and narrow. I mean, I, I kind of lean this direction. And if the devil can change your mind, he can change your destiny. And then you see this other side, this culture attempting to redefine your identity. See, it's not just your convictions. The world begins to put you down in regards to this idea of Christian. It's like, I don't even want to say it, right? 
Anybody feel that way? I don't want to tell my friend that I go to church. Because society's put such a, a term upon you, a, a name upon you, a brand upon you. And that's exactly what happened when you read the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those weren't their names. Belteshazzar, that wasn't his name. God gave him other names. And it says that. It says that they gave him new names. Check this out, and I want to put this up on the screen for you to see this. Daniel, when he was given his name, it meant God is my judge. When Nebuchadnezzar gave him the name, or Ashpenaz gave him the name, it's Lady Protect the King. What happened was he wanted to change the, the gender of the tone. You're no longer a man, you're a woman. I want, every time I say your name, Belteshazzar, what I'm saying, you're the center of your universe. God no longer is. In fact, your all-powerful God, he no longer can protect you. He needs protection. So he would hear that every time, Belteshazzar, 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 and what he was doing, it was demeaning and beginning to pull that guy down. You see that with Hananiah. Yahweh has been gracious. Shadrach means I'm fearful of God. That this all gracious, loving God, he, every time he heard his name before, when he heard Hananiah, it was just, yeah, yeah, my God's gracious. And all of a sudden, secular culture began to say, no, listen, your God's a God to be feared. He's a tyrant. Your God was so loving, why would he do that to people? You see that with Michelle. Who can compare to God? No one. That's kind of what his name meant. It's like, my God is, is all-powerful, all-knowing. Meshach means I'm despised, contemptible, and humiliated. In other words, every time you hear your name, I'm calling you a coward. Coward, insignificant, a nobody, a loser, narrow-minded, the voice and the very purpose that we were created to be we back away from because all of a sudden we don't want that anymore we actually begin to believe the lie how about Azariah Yahweh has helped Abednego no you're a slave servant of Nebo in other words you're a slave to man these were the voices that they heard all the time. Thank God they didn't listen to them. Thank God that they stood up in fiery furnaces. Thank God that they're willing to just stand up and say, you're not going to call me that name. I refuse to accept that name over my life as reality. You won't shape my convictions and you won't redefine my identity. Because you guys have to understand that the names we allow to label us write the script in which we live by. What's someone writing over your life? What have you actually believed or bought into as you look at the culture and everything coming your way? Do you stand strong like a creative minority? Want to hide? Want to compromise? So it comes down to this, and I just want to give you a few proclamations. How are we supposed to thrive? How are we supposed to live? What's our response to God's word that aligns us? Here's just a couple things. Number one is this. Be confident in who God says he is. Not what the world says, not what media says, not that your friend says, not what your professor says. 
when I look at the Word, the Bible tells me that my God, your God, is an all-powerful, all-knowing God. He's in control of all things. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He understands everything. Everything was created by Him and for Him. That's the God that I serve. And when you choose to stand up and proclaim, not defend, just simply proclaim who your God is, you'll watch society come along and say, wow, there's something different about you. Even King Nebuchadnezzar himself, these are his words in Daniel 4. After Daniel interpreted the dream, he comes back and he says this about Daniel's God. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of this earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's like he's in charge. Thank you for the clap. But listen, my God is the king of kings. It doesn't matter what's happening or what's not happening in society. Even in Chronicles, it says, if my people who are called by my name, it doesn't say what the government will do or what Trump will do or not do or what the politics will do or law enforcement will do or education. It doesn't says, it says, if my people will understand who I am and call upon my name. Let's start by just saying, I'm confident despite all the noise, all the pressure, I stand today in confidence. My God is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And I stand in that today. With a smile. Here's the second one. Be confident in who God says you are. I love that song. No longer slave to fear. I am a child of God. Every time I sing that, I just, I could just feel like hair step, just stand up on my head if I had it. It's just like, it's just like, I'm a child of God. So I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm an ambassador. I'm his weapon of war. I'm his masterpiece. I'm uniquely made in him to do great things. David, I love what David says, and you can see this on the screen. David's talking about who he is and his revelation as he's sitting there in the midst of all of the challenges and enemies trying to get after him and his pressure, and he just, he, he just begins to journal these thoughts and psalms. He says, you made me in all of the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. He's, he's speaking to himself. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. How well do you know God's workmanship in you? You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. I was woven together in the dark of my womb. And I love this last part. It says, every day of my life was recorded in your book. And every moment was laid out before a single day has passed. Someone needs to hear this. One of the campuses, listen to me, look at me. You are not insignificant. You are not average. Listen, you're not a mistake. Before the foundations of the world, God had you in mind. And he made you like you, unlike anyone else, because you were special in his sight. It's 
stop trying to be someone else, be you. Understand who did God say you are. I understand who you are. Now I understand who I am. And then it's this. Be clear in God's unfolding story. From the beginning of time, God, his master, crafted the story. We are a church for the journey. You're on a journey. I'm on a journey. We're in the purposes of God. Get out of the 19 or 2019 mindset and realize that thousands of years ago, God began this story with his people, expanding the kingdom. He allowed us to be a part of it. He came and died for us so that we might be saved, that we might be his voice to a world that needs him, so we might transform the world. That's why we're here. It's not about your IRA, your car, your house, your job. Those are all means to an end. Come on, are you with me? And then here's the last one, and we close. Choose to live as a creative minority. You make the choice. It's kind of where we're at as we look at our society. We have a couple choices. I can hide. I like BJ's Grove. I can just fit in because it's just easier. I can choose to stand in the middle and say, God, use me. I love what Isaiah said. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Use me. Maybe this is our hour. As we look at our nation falling apart, as we look at the government fighting at the very top, they can't, they can't even make one decision got our society today they're just trying to figure stuff out and our states are falling apart and our schools are falling apart and our social services are falling apart we're standing here just we have the answer it's like why not stand up with great love and compassion and once again and engage and say his name is Jesus God I'm thankful for who you are God, I'm thankful that you called me and allowed me to be a part of this day and this hour. He didn't put David here. He didn't put Moses here. He didn't put Solomon here. He didn't put Paul here. He didn't put Peter here. He put me here. He put you here. This is our time. It's what this series is all about as we look at our nation falling apart say, this is our hour. Let's stand, let's dive in, let's engage, let's love, let's care. We're talking about foster care. Go do something. Go engage somewhere. Love, care, pray, serve. Don't hide in BJ's. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Come on, Jesus. God, we thank you. for the wonderful privilege to be called your children. Lord, I'm thankful that you look down upon this world. Lord, I'm grateful that it's not beyond your control and you've chosen to place us here right now to be your voice, to be your arms, to be your feet, to let this broken, hurting, upside down world know that there's a God that loves them. God, would you use us? 
Lord, could we, like Isaiah the prophet, just cry out to you and say, Here am I, Lord. Come on. Send me. Send me, God. Pull me out of the noise. Pull me out of the stall. Lord, let me not blend in. God, help me to be creative minority. God, I just stop and I pray for our city. God, I pray for the regions, our communities, everywhere that our campuses are in. God, would you use us? God, would you help us? Help us to impact our neighborhoods, our jobs, our schools, our families, our friends, our relatives. Lord, help us not buy into the noise. Help us not to get caught up, God. Help us, Lord. I pray over every person, God, a new boldness, a new fire, a new strength would come upon them. In the mighty name of Jesus, let it be. God, we thank you for that. I just want to turn it over to uh, the other campuses. If campus pastors, you can take this MCs. And just bow your head just for, just for one last moment if you're here. Come on, Rocky View. I want to give an opportunity to any person that walked into this place. You've never started a personal relationship with Jesus. You came in today and all of a sudden you're feeling that there's a hole. You recognize that you're far from him. Listen, God loves you. He died for you. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. You simply have to recognize. you've fallen short and that there's some mistakes that you've made in your life and the guilt or the shame or the regret that you're feeling is, is God trying to beg you to just come to him and I want to give you the opportunity again with every head bowed every eye closed if you're here today you're saying you know I need to get my life right with God I just need God in my life it's just that simple I just I need Jesus if that's you, would you just, uh, again, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just put your hand up. Just go, Pastor Mark, you're speaking to me. Here's my hand. Just put it up, put it down. Anyone at all, just put your hand up. Thank you. Come on, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just put your hand up. Just it's between you and Jesus. Come on. Put your hand up. Thank you in the back. Thank you. Come on, what are you waiting for? All he's going to do is love you, give you a new start, new identity. Anyone else? Just slip your hand up. Come on. If you're online, if you wouldn't mind, just there's a little button there you can click. There'll be a little host that will help you. Just click that. We'd love to pray for you. Lord, we thank you for all of these people. Lord, I pray right now in this moment, God, you would come and just pour out, God, your presence, your spirit upon them. God, forgive them. God, as they invite you into their life, God, would you fill their heart with your spirit. God, let them follow you all the days of their life. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name. Come on, put your hands together for all these people that lifted their hands. Come on, that's awesome. Would you stand to your feet? I think this is a great place. How many got something out of the word today? Come on. Here's what I want you to do. I put your hands straight towards heaven. And I want you to sing this song as a proclamation. This is the best altar call we could do to just let God know we're going to stand in Him. Let's sing this together.
Thank you for listening to another Mana House message. Our hope is that you find fresh bread for your journey each time you join us here. Until next time.